Welcome to another exciting word from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Are you ready for the word today? We're going to be in Luke chapter 15, today's Family Sunday, and today's message is Lessons from my father and God. Now, these are two different entities. One is my biological father, and one is my father, God. Okay? In Luke, the 15th chapter, a familiar passage is the passage about the prodigal son. It's a passage about family and a passage about fathers. And, and so we'll begin reading in verse 11. I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. And uh, Jesus, in telling this, says this Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. That means riotous living. He was just living the high life. He was, you know, uh, doing everything you would imagine that you would not want your children to do. In verse 14, but when this younger son had spent all, there arose a famine in the land. And he began to be in want. You know, no matter how bad it is, uh, you can make it worse. Okay? And here, this young man made it very difficult on himself. He ran out of money. He was living a lifestyle that he could not support to begin with. He had no income. He only had outgo. And that's kind of a bad place to be. And then on top of that, when he runs out of money, here comes a famine. You probably know the story. He had to hire himself out to a local man there. And the man sent him out into the fields to feed the pigs. And one day he was out in the field feeding the pigs. And and it was just a very, very difficult time for him. And he looked at himself. And the Bible says that he came to him his senses all of a sudden he woke up and realized what everybody else had already realized about him he realized that my goodness I am living so far beneath what I should be living my father is a wealthy man my father has servants my father you know his servants are better off than I am I think I'm going to go home. I think I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to say I am no longer worthy to be your son. Just let me serve you. He realized he would have a better life with his father under his father's uh, um, um, umbrella than he would out on his own living the way he lived. He realized he was not really ready. And he thought he was, but he wasn't. Now listen to me, young people. Sometimes you think you are, but you're not, okay? It's always a good idea to listen to those people who love you for nothing, especially that one that carried you and didn't put you down for nine months, okay? And uh, as well as uh, those in your life that God has given you to speak wisdom into your life. Well, you know, 1982... 1982 was a good year for me and my family. We had been married a decade, and I had completed six years in active duty service in the United States Air Force. Praise the name of the Lord. God bless our nation. 
And uh, at that time in 1982, our daughter, who is sitting back there uh, running uh, media today, our daughter was five years old, and our son, who is in Abilene today, he was, uh, gosh, he was all of three. Man, it seems like yesterday. You know how that works? I was attending East Texas State University, and um, I was pastoring a church, the very first church that I ever started. There was about 35 or 40 people in the church and, and uh, on any given Sunday, but half of those people were related to me. You know, my mom and my dad were in their early 50s, and I was their pastor. And uh, without their support, I never would have made it. Uh, they, you know, my dad even allowed me to you know, start the church in his home and then provided a place behind his home for me to locate a building that he bought that I moved there that we had church in for a number of years. Uh, Brenda and I lived on five acres. We were in a rural community. We ate our own eggs from our own chickens, you know, fruit from our orchard that we had and vegetables from the garden and uh, whatever I could kill or, or, or catch, we ate that. That's the kind of life that we lived. It was uh, way out uh, in, in the middle of nowhere at that time. I even raised peanuts and popcorn and watermelon for the kids so that they wouldn't be too bored. And, and, and everybody had a donkey. We all uh, had a donkey that we proudly rode. I sold plastic barrels out of my front yard to make a little extra money, and I rode horses for people that wanted them, you know, uh, somebody to ride their horses. I would, uh, they'd bring them to me. I'd ride them for 30 days for a couple hundred bucks. And, uh, you know, uh, anything to make a little extra money. And, and God used each and every day. God used my experiences that I was gaining through all of this to grow me into a vessel that he could use a little better, hopefully. And um, I worked with my dad on and off in the dirt business. He had a dirt business and he sold stuff. And when he wasn't selling stuff, you know, I'd find myself, if I had a little time, out on a dozer or a backhoe, you know, building a road or digging a pond or clearing brush or whatever else, driving a dump truck, you know, uh, whatever I could do uh, that, that, that while my dad was off selling, he liked to sell. He, he, he enjoyed uh, trading, uh, <laughs> and he was quite good at it. He had always been a truck driver or a diesel mechanic when I was growing up, but um, he, he, he changed his profession after he gave his life to Jesus. And, uh, you know, if we were working or we were talking together and, and, uh, and he made a comment, I really listened to him because my dad was very philosophical. He was just very country-wise. He wasn't educated, you know. He, he uh, quit school in the sixth grade and, and uh, you know, uh, just during the Depression, he just made it. Uh, and uh, I, I wanted to listen to him because the things that he said just hit me and stuck with me, you know. He had a way of encapsulating truth and, and communicating that truth in a very few words, but it was very impactful and, and uh, created principles for my life that my dad had had in his life. And uh, they were so easy to understand when he would say something, and it was hard to forget what he said. You ever meet somebody that when they say something, they don't say much, but when they say something, it's hard to forget it? No, I was the talker. I would talk all the time, all day long. And then my dad would say something, and I'd go, whoa, he just said more in those few words than I, than I have been saying all day long. Why in the world does he listen to me? Well, now, not everything my dad told me am I able to repeat in, in most settings. 
However, I can't think of anything that he said that wasn't true. Uh, I think it's where I got my love for the truth. If you know me very long, you know that I will risk telling you the truth. I will risk. If we can get alone, I'll be responsibly honest. He taught me about honest, uh, responsible honesty. Don't be irresponsibly honest. Be responsibly honest. That means if you, know, if you see somebody and you don't like what they have on, just keep your mouth shut. Okay? There's no reason being honest, irresponsibly honest, and hurting people. But responsible honesty is very important. In 1982, my dad had a, had, had, had a business. Uh, he, he was wholesaling willow furniture. This is what willow furniture is. Let me show you what willow furniture is. See that? My dad wholesaled that uh, all over the nation. All right? uh, and uh, it, it, it was very interesting. He employed a family uh, who moved around from place to place, and he employed them. They, they, they lived in, in southwest Arkansas and in also in parts of Oklahoma. Any place that there was a river where they could gather the, this, this willow, they would uh, live there on the river in, in, in tents and trucks and whatever else, and you know, a shack and, and, and cut willow and make the furniture, and my dad would buy everything that they made. And sometimes when my dad would run low on furniture or, or uh, you know, uh, uh, have a big order, you know, uh, uh, people would drive from, you know, fly from California, rent trucks and, you know, haul it back, uh, you know, all over the nation, Canada, you know, every, everywhere. And so uh, um, my dad would have to get in the truck. Sometimes I'd go with him and pick up and we'd go, you know, from river to river looking for where they might be located. And when we'd find them, you know, invariably they'd have this huge mountain stack of furniture and we'd load up and we'd uh, pay people, you know, to bring, or they might just show up. If they ran low on money, that family would just show up with, you know, a couple of trailer loads of furniture and truck loads of furniture. And knowing my dad would, you know, walk out of the house and, you know, pay him the cash for it and they'd stick it out there. And he already had, you know, mountains of it normally. And, uh, uh, but at any rate, uh, uh, I recently saw two of these men who were just young teenagers back in that day. I ran into them at Canton, Texas. My dad had a place at Canton, Texas for 10 years, a permanent lot. I was walking around Canton not long ago, and I walked and I saw that furniture. And I walked up and I said, hey, and they looked over at me and I looked at them and, and I said, uh, I'm, they knew me as Ronnie, I'm, I'm Ronnie Hammonds. They went, oh, my goodness. And we sat down and talked and talked. They said, you know, your dad told us that we could be in business. He told us we could retail this, but we didn't ever believe it. We just was always making it, and the family was always just working hard, and we were just kids. But, you know, whenever your dad died, one of the last things he told us, and he died in 1987, said that we could do this. We could do this. And we've been setting up here ever since, and it's going wonderful. Could we interest you in a load of furniture? <laughs> We'll deliver. We'll come down. We'll put it on consignment. We'll set it out in the yard. I said, yeah, that's all I need. I'm still thinking about it, though, because that's just in my blood. One day in 1982, I visited my dad's lot at Canton. We do that on weekends. Canton, Texas is a Canton trade today in Canton, Texas, if you're not familiar with it, called First Monday. It's a, it, it, it's a huge place. Now, it used to not, it used to only be about half that big or so, but it's a place where people go and they set up uh, lots and they sell whatever, uh, anything actually. And, uh, um, but uh, I, I was sitting there talking to my dad, sitting on his furniture, on his trailer, and at the lot, and people coming to buy, and I was watching, listening to him. And he said, hey, son, I'm, 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 I'm going to go get me a cup of coffee. Would you take care of the lot while I'm gone? And I said, hmm, I will tell people uh, you'll be back in a minute. 
but I just can't sell a piece of this furniture. I can't tell them what you're wanting for it. I knew what he gave for it, and I just could not in good faith tell him what he wanted for it. I said, I can't give anybody a price on his furniture. I'm sorry, Dad. I chuckled. He laughed, you know, and, and everything. I said, I know what you pay for it, and I know what you're selling it for. You know, he paid $10 for a chair, and he'd sell it for 200 I just felt, I just, you know, I mean, I mean, that's, I mean, he was, uh, you know, he, he, he bought, wholesale bought it, and, 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 he, and he sold, and he, and, you know, and, uh, and, and uh, I, I just said, I just, you know, I just can't do that. And he kind of chuckled. My dad uh, uh, pulled out one of those bits of wisdom as he was uh, 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 chuckling there. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm not complaining about what he sold it for. But, you know, whenever he'd get in a bind, he got in a bind one time. He, 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 was, he was always saying, that I'll, I'll, yeah, sure. His answer, his first answer was yes. Anybody that knows me, my first answer is yes. You know, we'll figure it out later. Yes, and let's go figure it out. Uh, but uh, he, he got this big order out of Dallas for for centerpieces, for baskets, and for tables to sit around, and couldn't find that family. So he hired me to go and cut willow and, and, and to make baskets and to make tables, and he paid me a dollar per table and three dollars, uh, excuse me, three dollars per table and a dollar per basket. And I made bunches of them. I mean, you make them pretty quick. And I knew that's about all. The, I mean, I was making good money, okay? I mean, 100 baskets at 100 bucks, and 100 bucks in 1982 was like, you know, whoa, okay, yes, you know. All I got to do is chop down some willow and, you know, make me a little jig and cut them off and put, nail them together with an air gun. Shoot, yeah, dollar of, yeah. Uh, and so, but yet he was selling these things for $35 and those tables for 50 I just, you know, I mean, he was making a good living, uh, uh, but... I said, I just can't tell them what you want for it. I'll tell them you'll be back in a minute. He kind of, you know, looked at me with that look. You know how it, it is whenever somebody knows something that you don't know, and they know you don't know it, but they know it. <laughs> and uh, he knew something that I didn't know. And he said, it's not how much it costs. It's how much it's worth. You know, boy, that's... That was just, that cut through everything. Of course, I still didn't tell anybody what he wanted for it, but uh, it did give me something to think about, and I've never forgot it. My dad was an honest man. He was a hard worker, but he believed that what he was selling was worth what he was asking. He later, uh, you know, told me uh, um, uh, several things. But if, if, if something isn't selling, he told me later on, he said, listen, uh, uh, if you don't think it's valuable, nobody else will either. You know, unless you think it's valuable, nobody else is going to think it's valuable. And it's not how much it costs, it's how much it's worth. You know, that's just like salvation. Salvation is free, and because it's free, many people don't imagine it's worth very much. But it's not how much it costs. It happened to cost quite a lot, but it cost me nothing. And... Uh, if I don't think it's valuable, nobody else will either. My dad gave me a lot of things about buying and selling. You know, he told me money is not in selling, son. Money is in buying. And I realized then how he was able to, to make so much money. It was because any nut could sell something if you buy it, right? It's not how much it costs. It's how much it's worth. Those of you that know me know that these are the philosophies I live by. The philosophies my father told me 
You need to believe that what you're selling is worth what you're asking. If you don't believe what you're selling is worth what you're asking, nobody else will either. A few years ago, I bought an airplane, sight unseen, out of Atlanta, Georgia. And the guy that went to pick it up for me, it, uh, he looked at it and he said, Are you sure you want this? I said, Yeah. So he flew it here. I forgot about it for a little while. And then me and Ken one morning, we were thinking about going down to Mexico, checking on an orphanage. I said, hey, I got a, I got a plane out there, man. I, 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 ain't even, I hadn't even seen it. Let's go out there. We went out there and got in it, and we went to Mexico. Okay? Wasn't, it was an interesting experience, wasn't it, Ken? <laughs> Somewhere along the way, we found out it didn't have any lights, and it didn't have any radios, and it didn't have any navigation equipment. But we just followed the Gulf around. We knew where we were going. We, we know where Mexico is. You know, clouds were a thousand feet. We stayed under them. <laughs> what, what fun. Uh, <laughs> we had to come back at night. It was a lot more fun at night, wasn't it? Uh, but <laughs> when I got it back, I thought, you know, I think I'm going to sell this plane. <laughs> and so I put it in an ad in a paper, you know, because I, 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 I would buy and sell planes occasionally. Again, I like to buy and sell things and, you know, make a little extra money. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, there is no extra money, by the way. But, um, but, you know, for two months, I ran it in trade plane, not a call. And I had a good price on it. I put a, I put a really cheap price on it. I, wanted to, I was going to make a little money on it, but I didn't have to make a lot of money. And it just didn't. And, and so, you know, after two months, it came time to renew my uh, 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 ad again. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm going to lower it down to what I paid for it, and just get rid of it, you know? And uh, uh, I heard my dad, if it's not selling, go up on it. That's what he said. If it's not selling, go up on it. Enough people see it, somebody will want it. So I doubled the price. I thought, okay, Dad, I'll give you a run, you know? Give you a run for it. It don't cost much, you know? I doubled the price would you believe that somebody the first week came down here from Austin, Texas and bought that thing and never even tried to get another nickel off of it? And I just sat there with the money in my hand going, Daddy, I, uh, the things I learned from my dad. <laughs> that if you don't think much of it, nobody else will either. You know? He encouraged me also to buy the best. Because he was always in sales mode. He never bought anything that he didn't wasn't thinking about. What am I going to do when I sell it? Y'all know me, I'm, I'm uh, much in that same way. Well, at any rate, uh, people need to believe that what they're buying is worth what they're paying. People need to believe what they're buying is worth what they're paying. And that's the trouble sometimes. Sometimes people aren't sure that what you're asking them is worth what they have to do to get it. You need to believe that Jesus is worth it. You need to believe that what you're buying, the truth that you're buying, buy the truth and sell it not. You need to believe that the truth that you are buying is worth what it's costing you. It can cost you to live according to the principles of the Word of God. It can cost you to be the person in the mix that is honest, that speaks the truth in love. It can cost you 
to share the love of God with people in your community and communities around the world. But you need to believe that what you're buying is worth what you're paying. What price is eternity? How does this figure into our message today? Well, two things I've learned from my Father and from God. Number one, Jesus is what I'm selling and He is worth what I'm asking. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never committed and submitted, that's Savior and Lord. If you have never committed and submitted your life to Jesus Christ, then you're missing the boat. And I am boldly proclaiming that He is worth what I'm asking. I'm asking you to simply call upon His name right now. I'm asking you to make even a public profession of your faith so that others would know that you have given your life to Christ. How shall they know unless someone tell them? How will your family know? How will your friends know? How will your co-workers and your, 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 your friends know if you don't tell them? If you don't feel he's valuable, you probably won't. But even at double the price, Jesus is worth it. And if you don't value Jesus, don't expect anybody else in your family to. If you don't value family, don't expect your family to. If you don't value truth, don't expect your family to. The devil tries to convince born-again believers that witnessing to people about the love of Jesus is in some way bothering them. You know, come on, get, get real. The devil is doing his best to try to tell you that witnessing to somebody else is bothering them. Let me tell you, it bothers nobody to be pulled out of a fire. It's not bothering someone to save them from a burning building. Even if they're struggling, even if they put up a fight, even if they're resisting, the Bible encourages us for some to drag them out. It's the truth. Salvation is free to everyone. And everyone needs a life change. And they need the peace that's offered from Jesus Christ. And they just don't know it. And they may not believe it if you don't. A second thing that I have learned is that family matters. From the dawn of human creation, the devil has been trying to divide families I'm so glad it's Family Sunday, and I want you to know, those of you sitting here with your families, that this is a precious time. Those of you at home with your families, perhaps some of you at work, family matters. It's a precious time. From the dawn of creation, the devil has been doing his best to divide families. He started by trying to divide the family of God, and he's still trying today. He is either hoping that God will curse you or that you will curse God, that he can get God to not like you or he can get you to not like God. He He's hoping that he can get you to not worship God or God to not bless you. That's what he's been trying to do. He's been trying to divide God's family. He's trying to get God to imagine life without you. And he's trying to get you to imagine life without God, to live your life without him, to go about your day without him, imagining perhaps that he's going about his day without you on his mind. That's just not the truth. God is our Father. He loves us more than anyone has ever been loved by another human. We need to do our best to be more like Him. So parents, let me encourage you. Give your children a good experience. 
give your guilt, children a good experience when they repent. That's what God does. God gives us a good experience when we say, I have done wrong, I'm sorry, forgive me. He doesn't say, I told you so, I knew you were always that way. No, he, give your children a good re- experience when they repent. That's what the prodigal son's father did. That's what the story is about today. Just like the prodigal son, God prepared for his children's return. God prepared for his children to say, I'm sorry. God repairs, prepares for his children to say, help me. God prepares for his children to say, I need you. I, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't know what to do. Be prepared for your children at some point to say, I need you. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Forgive me. I, I need help. What should I do? Be prepared. Be prepared to do what this prodigal son's father did. Listen in Luke 15 as we close, verse 20. And he arose, this son, younger son, and he came to his father even after all he had done. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. This is what happens every time a sinner repents. This is what should be happening in our world every time one of our children, grandchildren, every time a friend, a co-worker, every time. Because there is a wave coming to this planet. God bless us and have mercy on us. But there is a wave of the Holy Spirit coming that's going to cause people to try it out. They're going to try repentance. They're going to try, I'm sorry. They're going to try, forgive me. They're going to try, I need help. They're going to try, I was wrong. And when they do, be ready. Put the best coat on them. Sandals on their feet. Make sure you're ready for their return. Because only the devil is trying to divide families. God's doing his best to bring them back together. Thanks again for joining us for another powerful message from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.